Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, we're continuing our study of what we're calling 12 Biblical Truths That Every Christian Must Understand. And we're looking at a number of things. Our goal in the study is that we'd know the Biblical Truths and then be ready to communicate them to others. And so we realize a lot of Christians have, don't understand these things. And by the way, don't look at the cards now. Don't even worry about that. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Okay? And so what we've seen in the first section, we dealt with salvation. And we said, what is the story of the Bible? It is what? Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. It's reconciliation. Then we talked about being saved three times, justification, sanctification, glorification. Then we talked about eternal life or temporary life and the whole idea that we can have the assurance of salvation. Then we went to the Christian life and we started talking about the two, the two greats, the great commandment and the great commission. And, and then we talked about running the race and how, you know, getting rewards and, and all of those things. And then... Uh, we, we, we started looking last week at the sacrifices, and it's really misunderstood because a lot of people think, well, once the sacrifices are over with Jesus, there aren't any sacrifices, and there are. But in this lesson, we now move to the Word of God. We're gonna, how does God talk to us? And, of course, it's through the Bible, through the Word of God, and we'll see how that all fits together as we study. Sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, God told me something. And when people say that to me, I just say, well, how did, how did he tell you? What did you mean? And most of the time, if you say to them, did God, did you hear this audible voice? That's, oh, no, 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 I just kind of I just kind of knew it. And, and that, that's okay. And if you think God sometimes gives you some kind of communication in some way, I mean, I'm not saying that's not true. I think that the best thing that we can see, especially now with the completion of the Scripture, because see, when you start going back to the Old Testament and you had all these prophets and all these different things and they were given different revelation, but when you get to the, by the time we get to the New Testament, we have the completed Word of God completely. And so... As we look, at, we're going to be looking at a bunch of different things. Well, you have the Scripture, and you have the complete revelation of God. And so we'll talk more about that maybe later, and if you have some questions, as always, if you have a question, just stop me. We'll talk about it. But we're going to look at this lesson at the Bible, at the Word of God, and we want to think about how God has revealed himself, and he's revealed himself in a number of ways, but we'll really talk about how about for us. So here's kind of the outline of what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to start with how does God speak? We're going to see his revelation. We're going to, call what's what, we're going to look at what's called general revelation and what's called specific revelation. Then we're going to start talking about the Word of God, the written Word of God, the Bible. We're going to look at the canon of Scriptures and the importance of the Word. Then we'll say, how can we know God's Word? And we're going to talk about Bible study, which is our work, our part that we dig. And we're going to talk about some Bible study methods. This is the key. This is one of my favorite lessons because if you do what we say in this, you'll be able to go to a passage of Scripture and look at it and understand it and be able to put it together and, and see how it fits. And that's the really goal of Bible study. And that's the goal of what we do. We're trying to know the, the truths of the Bible. And then we're going to end it by, end our study by looking at using God's Word. We're going to talk about what Ezra did and talk about our plan, 2 Timothy 2 2. So there's a lot. So let's start. And if you, if you have questions, you can always stop me. Let's, how does God speak? And when I say, how does God speak? It is his, his revelation, okay? So God is all-powerful. He is the creator. He's the redeemer, the sustainer, the provider. He does everything. He does everything according to his will. He made people. God communicates with his creation. That's us. And he, he, you know, let's just face it this way. If God didn't make himself known, we wouldn't know him. He's so far beyond us. I mean, it's not like uh, we're a dog and he's a man. It's like we're a, a flea and he's, the, you know, the greatest thing that's ever been, you know. So just think about it that way. Uh, how does God talk to us? People want to say, I want to hear from God. I've had people say, I just wish God would talk to me. I said, well, he gave you a giant book. 
I mean, think about it. And if you get this whole thing down, he might give you something else. But think about it. Uh, it's the whole thing. So there's two ways. When we start talking about revelation, there's two things that are called, we call it God reveals himself to us in what we call general revelation, and the other is special revelation. Okay, general revelation is, and let me put it this way, general revelation is really a broad thing. This is how God makes himself known to all people and all things. And it's primarily, when we say general revelation, it's primarily through the creation. Okay, so general revelation through the creation. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For since the what? The creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. In other words, through the creation of the world, you can know about God. You can see that whoever he is, he's powerful, he's godly, he's strength. It says, being understood by what has been made. So they're without excuse. Human beings can't say, I didn't know there was a God. Right from the creation alone. In fact, if you look at the creation, if you thought about it, and you say, well, let, let me look at the world. And, and you start looking, and you say, give me a telescope. Let me see how far out I can go. And you begin to look around, and everything is so complex, and it's so perfect, and that you can say, well, the sun's going to come up tomorrow at 6.58. I mean, because everything is ordered, and it's a great system. And then you take a microscope, and you start going smaller, and before you know it, you say, I can't believe this is so complex. It's so detailed, and I mean, I'm getting smaller and smaller. I can't even measure it, and yet it's complex. And then you look at an animal or a flower or a plant or anything, and you go, this, this, this is a amazing. So God has revealed himself through his creation. And so from the creation, man can see God's eternal power and even his divine nature. And that's why people respond. One of the things, ways that God has revealed himself in the world is through the creation. Look at this right here in Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens tell the glory of God, and their expanse declares the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. How does the, the heavens tell the glory of God? Well, you see the stars, the moon, the sun, day to day. The sun gets up, and the Bible talks about how it starts out and comes all the way across, running the race. And then you look at it at night, and you walk out, and you look at those stars and the moon, and you go, my gracious. And so the heavens tell the glory of God. And so God has revealed himself. Look at this. God has revealed himself to mankind, doing good to all men. You understand that God does good to all people, even unbelievers. I have people say, God doesn't even hear the prayer of unbelievers. Yeah, he hears everything. He knows everything. And he does good to all people. Look at this right here, Acts fourteen seventeen. Yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness. In that he did good, and, and, he's ta- and of course Paul is talking, he says, And he gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. That's to all people. He's actually talking to unbelievers and says, God's taking care of you. God loves you. God takes care of all. And so God has given a witness. And so the, the real witness, the first witness that we talk about is called general revelation in which we can look at the world around us and see that there's a God. You know, there's a, the, the Bible in Romans 1 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And you know, there's some people that are so smart that they reject everything about God and they think they're so smart and yet they're foolish. And, and they'll look, I mean, there's, I, I read the, of a, a scientist the other day that because he realized that when he kept looking at the the world that he couldn't deny some kind of creation or something that brought all this about. So his hypothesis was that aliens from another world brought people here, brought life here, and that's how it started. I mean, you know, they just won't say there's a real God 
and that he created it all. He spoke it into being. And so in the general revelation, we can all look out there and go, wow, there, there, there has to be a God. There's something more than just this, you know. Then there's what we call special revelation. And that special revelation is when God gives information, gives specific information at certain times. I want you to look at this. This is Hebrews, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, did God use prophets to speak? Okay, and notice, in many portions... And in many ways. In other words, God has spoken in a lot of different ways. And then it says, in these last days. Now, by the way, people always ask if we're in the last days. You know when the last days began? They began at Jesus Christ. The last days, in these last days, he has spoken through his son. Any time from, Je- from Jesus on is the last days. Because if you remember the Old Testament, and starting way back with Adam and Eve, everybody been looking for what? Looking for the coming of the Messiah. Now the Messiah has come. So we're in the last days. So it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and many portions, and in a lot of different ways, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his Son. Now that's an aspect of how God is revealed. He has appointed him heir of all things through which he made the world. So God has spoken. God has revealed himself, first of all, in general revelation. But then he's revealed himself to us in specific ways. Let me give you some ways that God has revealed himself to us, as he says long ago. First of all, he used dreams. Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream that his brothers and everything would lay down, right? Lay down and, and, and that. And, jo- and jo- he revealed himself to Joseph through dreams about the, the you know, the, the wine guy and all that. And, there, and then in Daniel, Daniel had dream after dream that gave information about the future. And visions, Ezekiel. What did Ezekiel see? He saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he saw this thing coming that looked like who knows what. It had these wheels that came down, a wheel within a wheel, and all this thing with eyes and a throne, and thing was all thing, and the thing looked like a person. It had these four faces, and he saw the glory of God. I mean, there's, there's, so it was a vision. And then the Urim and the Thummim. Anybody remember what that is? The priest has a, had, a, had a little, what they call an ephod, and then they had a little thing on the front of it, and it had a place in it that he foot and we don't know what they were they may have been two, uh, two stones or two pieces of wood or we don't know what it was but it was some way he called them the Urim and Thummim priests used it and they were able to get direct revelation from God whenever he wanted to give them information and then you got the prophets God used prophets like Elijah and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all those people and then he used angels Angels came to Gabriel, angels came to, I mean, angels, uh, Gabriel came as an angel, he came to Daniel, he came to Mary, uh, angels have spoken, done all kinds of things, you read the book of Revelation, there's angels in there all doing everything, and then he even used an animal one time, did he not? A donkey spoke. You know, people go, I, <laughs> I just don't know about that. Well, you remember at Adam and Eve, right? And the snake came up to her, now he wasn't, wasn't slithering on the ground because he hadn't been cursed yet. But the snake spoke to her, and she, does she seem to be surprised that this animal is speaking to her? She doesn't go, whoa, whoa, you talking? No, no. And I don't know whether animals talked at different times. Who knows, before the fall or after. But anyway, he used an animal there. And then he used the apostles and the prophets at the foundation of the church, Peter and Paul and James and John and different prophets, all that. And then, as he just got through saying in that verse, in these last days he's spoken through who? Through his son, Jesus Christ. So think of all the different ways that God spoke. Uh, let me ask you a question. Um, there's Joseph and Mary, right? Did you know that if you look in the scripture and read all of that in Matthew, that Joseph never says a word. 
never says a word. And all of the times that God talks to Joseph, he comes to him in a dream, never says a word. So how did God speak? He spoke in a lot of different ways. Now, but here's the last one, this, the son. In these last days, he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ, John 1.18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, which is Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. He has made him known. If, if you want to know what God is like, who do you look at? Jesus. Listen, I, I, was, I, we, I teach a great class, uh, and we, actually, this was our last class today. We actually ended the course today, and we got through it all, and we were looking at a passage. I made them translate it, and it's the one in John 14 where Jesus said, If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. One of them, Thomas, uh, Philip says, uh, Lord, show us, show us the Father, and we'll be happy. Uh, that'll make me, he says, I've been with you this long, and you asked me to show you the Father? When you've seen me, you have seen what? The Father, Jesus Christ, reveals what God is like. And so when we start saying, how has God revealed himself to mankind, uh, it's, it, it's through all of these different aspects. And then and you look, one more, and that is, this is the key one for us, is the Word of God. The Bible is the written revelation from God. Now, it's really amazing. Uh, in a minute, we'll talk about it. But what language was the Old Testament written in? Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic. What language is the New Testament written in? Greek. It's called uh, 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 Koine Greek, which meant common Greek. And so God has put his word in written revelation. People say, this is the Bible. It, it is. It's in English. And I'm glad it's in English, right? Most, if it wasn't in English, we couldn't read it, you know? I've had people say, the only Bible is the King James Bible. I say, well, let me ask you something. Uh, what was the only Bible before there was the King James Bible? Because <laughs> King James authorized the King James Bible. What what Bible did they have before that? And what about the Greek and the Hebrew and the you know and the Septuagint and all those different things? Anyway, the Word of God is God's written revelation. Have you thought about this? You you hold in your hand, you hold in your hand, revelation from God. The true God, who is beyond anything you could imagine, who created everything, who made this earth and made you, has actually given you information in a book, in a book that you can read. In a book that you can read. And so we think about it, the Bible is like one book, but what? 66 different books. And when you think about the story of the Bible, we've said it over and over again, but what is it? It's how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. The beginning and the fall with Adam and Eve, what is God's promise? The seed of woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. God said, I'm going to send one that's going to bring you, fallen people, back to myself. And that's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we've got. Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself and, and, and uh, the story of the Bible. Uh, when we look at how God reveals himself, let me throw this up. There are really three, three things. And we got the world, the sun, and the Bible. The world is the creation, and that's what we call general revelation. And then we've got two kind of specific revelations that, that, that we deal with. And one is the sun, Jesus Christ. The other is the Bible. Now let's think about it. What can you... Yes, yeah. So, the, uh, John 19, the Word... The, the Word became flesh. flesh. Yeah, the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And the only begotten, yeah. Uh, did, did I? I didn't I? 
Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a, this is just, yeah, you're right. This is, you know, I've told you this is the first time we've done this. Put that, make that, it is John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what I'm looking at? Um, I see the one, two, three there, which is th- this right here. But I, to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm looking at my notes and say, this, I, I don't see it. I, just ignore the part that's right above, right below John. It should be John one fourteen, and it should be the, then the one, two, three, which we get the Word, the Son, and the Bible. Oh, it is? It, was it up there? Oh, okay, okay. Well, I, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, it was in the flow. Okay, we've got John one eighteen, but the word it should we should the, the answer for the word became flesh is John one fourteen, but John one eighteen. I'm just I've used that to say that Jesus Christ explained the Father. But I think if I was gonna, I don't I don't know I don't know how that got mixed up because it shouldn't say the word became flesh. It should say something else. Okay, and then we got this. The Bible is the written revelation from God. The written revelation. The Word of God is the written revelation. This is going great, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so you got it. What's this? John one eighteen? it talks about how God, Jesus Christ, explained the Father. But the, the, the verse that just says... John one eighteen, the word became that really should be John one fourteen, because John one fourteen is the word became flesh. So you can keep you can keep John one eighteen, which is Jesus explained the Father, but you can change that to one fourteen if you want to, the word became flesh, and then put the Bible as the, the word of God is the written revelation of God. Okay, are we caught up? Thanks for doing that. I'm I, uh, huh? We we caught up? Okay. And then here's the, the uh, story of the Bible, and then here's the big three right here. The world, the sun, the Bible. Now, I want you to think about this. What can you learn about God from the world? He, he, he's the creator, and he's all-powerful, and he does. But that's about it. And then, and then you've got the son, Jesus, and the son reveals the father. But where is he? I mean, we didn't, can't invite him into the room and say, would you tell us more about the father? Because he's gone. So where do we find the information we need to know? It's the Word of God, the Bible. In fact, how do you know who Jesus is? The Bible. I mean, how do we know anything? It goes back to the Scriptures. So when we got these big three ways, the world, the Son, and the Bible, the ultimately, for us, the Bible is the key. And so with that in mind, we go to number two, which is the written Word of God, the Bible. And what we want to do is two things. We want to look at what I call the canon, and then we're going to see the importance of the Word of God. Now, when we say canon, we mean this is how the Bible was put together. Oops, let's see. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold up for a second. We're going to look at the canon and the importance of the Word of God. Do you ever realize this, that in the Old Testament there, there was Adam and Eve, and then Noah, and then who? Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah, and here's Moses, right? Do you realize from here to here, there's no written word. No written word at all. Who wrote the, who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses did. Now, it didn't mean that Adam and Eve, they told everybody they knew about God and everything, and Noah told everybody they knew, and Abraham. I mean, they knew stuff, and they knew the stories, and I guarantee you that if you ask uh, Abraham about creation, he could tell you. He'd tell you, well, it was just six days. But, but 
Who was the first person to give us written revelation? It was Moses in the first five books. And so when we talk about canon of Scripture, you realize that's the first five books. And then, then as time went by, they wrote other books. And we've got, you know, Joshua put stuff down. And then the time of Judges. And then there's First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and Ezra and Nehemiah. And they, all of these things and the writings, and the, they all went down. And they, so by the time of Jesus, the Old Testament was called the Tanakh. The Torah, the Nebim, the Ketubim, the Law, the Writings, and the Prophets. That was all put together. And so by the time of Christ, if you said, what is the Bible? What is the Word of God? It would be exactly what we have as the Old Testament. Now, it was a little bit different order. And instead of saying First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, they had First Kings, Second Kings, Third Kings, Fourth Kings. They had it divided up a little different. And Daniel was not in the prophet section. He was in the writing section. And so, but it's exactly the same books. And so by the time of Jesus, if somebody said, what exactly is the Bible? We would say it is exactly our Old Testament. Maybe a little different order, but exactly our Old Testament. And then, after Jesus died and rose again, Jesus gave a lot of information and everything. And then you had people to begin to write the books. And James was the first author. He wrote it in 45. And then you had Matthew and Mark, and they started writing. And then Paul wrote 13 letters. And John ended up with uh, 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 the gospel and then three other letters and then the book of Revelation and the... And so the very last one was the book of Revelation. And so by the time we get to 100, because 95 A.D., John, we think, wrote the book of Revelation and died right after that. By the time you get to 100, what we call the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, was put together and accepted. And when people say things like, oh, there's always been disputed books. No, no, there hadn't. By the time you get right there, if you said, what is the Bible, it would be exactly what you have. Now, it might not be the exact same order, because it, the order came about a little bit differently. There were church councils along the way that discussed the books and decided, but ultimately, even by the third century, exactly what we have is the Bible. Now, it, wasn't, it was in different languages, of course, but that was the Bible. So when we talk about the canon of Scripture, we're talking about the Bible. I have a course... I have a course in the 2-2, in the 2-2 class. I take a, a whole little section on the, the, how the Bible came together, how it was put together, and the different church councils and how they looked at different things. There is a book. Uh, well, I'll get to it. Let me, I, I've got it on this thing, so let me just get to it. The canon, let's talk about it. 66 books, over 40 authors, all different various backgrounds, but there's one complete revelation all flowing together. Do you realize that... That, who, that when Moses put all this down and then Joshua and Judges and First Kings and Samuel and all these people and Paul and Peter and James, all these different people, they wrote and yet nothing contradicts. Everything fits together. It's God's Word and that's what it really is, all flowing together. The Old Testament took about a thousand years to write. Let me show you what I mean by that. Moses wrote in about 1440 B.C., the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, was written in about 400. So it took about a thousand years from the time Moses wrote down the first five books until the Old Testament basically was put together. The New Testament took about 50 years because James wrote in 45 and John wrote in 95, and that's about 50 years. So it took about 50 years to put what we call the New Testament together. Let me just tell you this. We've got manuscripts all over the place. If you ever, somebody ever comes to you and says, the Bible's got all these errors and we don't know anything about it, it's not reliable, 
They have no idea what they're talking about. Let me give you one example. There's a, a, a history event called the Gallic Wars. And, and if you talk to any historian and you say, do you believe there were the Gallic Wars? They'd say, of course there were the Gallic Wars. Everybody knows there were the Gallic Wars. Well, how do we know there were the Gallic Wars? Well, we actually have five manuscripts talking about the Gallic Wars, five of them. And the earliest manuscript that's, that's related to the Gallic Wars was written a thousand years after the Gallic Wars. So people would say, well, you got five manuscripts and thousand years ever, but we believe it's true. Okay, the Bible. You know how many manuscripts we have of the Bible? We've got over 6,000 Greek manuscripts. We've got another 10,000 different other language manuscripts. And we've got some manuscripts that were written within 50 to 100 years of the events. So if you had to judge and say, I believe the Gallic Wars is true, you'd have to say, I believe the Bible is true. There's 5,000 manuscripts, 6,000 Greek manuscripts, and some of them within 100 years or even 50 years. So when some people start saying the Bible's not accurate, if the Bible's not accurate, there's no ancient document that is accurate because it's the most accurate of all ancient documents. God did that on purpose. So you've got, you got a great book. I mean, you don't, don't ever let anybody tell you that there's errors and problems. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a great point. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found uh, at the Dead Sea at a place called En Gedi, and it was found in 1947, and they were Hebrew manuscripts of the Old Testament, every book except the book of Esther, every book except the book of Esther, and they dated the manuscripts they, they pushed them back another thousand years. And what we found out, they were a thousand years older than any manuscripts we'd ever found. And yet, they were exactly the same as what we have. That means it's always been the same. You know that the people who copied the Bible, who made sure the copies were right, they, 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 they were called scribes, and they would copy like... But they didn't have space between letters. Of course, Hebrew goes this way, and Greek you know, goes this way. And so they wrote, and they, they had a le- thing, and they would take a line, and as they copied it, they made sure every letter was exactly right. If it wasn't, they tore it up. They had it perfectly. They did. Sometimes they would write out in the manuscript, and they would go, this doesn't seem right, or is this correct? Or because sometimes they would read something, and they would go, hmm. And have you ever read the Bible and go, gosh, that's a little bit different? Because there were a lot of things there that they wrote that they went, whoa, you know, things like that. Have you ever heard, uh, and, the, and the fruit of the Spirit is? Well, there's another place that says, and the fruit of the light is. And in some manuscripts, somebody changed from the fruit of the light to fruit of the Spirit because they thought fruit of the Spirit was right. And then when you look at all the manuscripts, it's actually fruit of the light. Now, not the fruit of the Spirit passage, but there's another place in Colossians. So what I'm saying is, what we have is so perfect. Don't ever doubt it. Study it yourself. There is a book. It's called How We Got Our Bible by W.H. Griffiths Thomas. And he it, it basically, simply, God simply used people to write down. This little book was out of print. You can, you know, nowadays with Amazon and everything else, you can find everything. I used to tell people, you can't get this book. It's out of print. People come say to me, I just got it from Amazon. I say, okay, so if you want to, it's by W.H. Griffith Thomas, and he actually writes how they put together, how we got 
our Bible, okay? It's a great little book. It doesn't take very long to read. It's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit complicated, but uh, it's some good stuff. You'd like it if you're interested in that sort of thing, okay? Um, Go back to the what? I'm sorry, I missed it. Right here? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can go back to that. Yeah. And while we're thinking about it, okay, there's 66 books, right? How many Old Testament? 39. How many New Testament? 27. Old Testament's divided into four sections. Ours is. Theirs was divided into three. Hebrew Bible's divided into three. Ours is divided into four. There's this Torah, Nebim, Ketubim, law, writings, prophets. Ours is, is basically law, history, writings, and prophets. So ours is a little bit, it's exactly the same books. We just divide ours a little bit differently. And so New Testament divided into three sections, history, letters, or epistles, and prophecy. So the Bible is so perfect. And, and, and you should know it. We should all know all of this. We should be able to, if somebody said, well, because we're Christians, right? And this is our book. Have you ever thought about it? What if somebody says, oh, you're a Christian, right? That's your Bible. Oh, yeah. You know anything about it? No, not, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Think about it. You got to know, right? We're supposed to know. Okay, so have you got it? Is that good? Okay, okay. So, and then Old Testament took about 1,000. New Testament took about 50. This is the book. And simply put, God used people to write down the Bible. That's really how we got it. God used human beings and he superseded it. He, he would take a person like Paul or Peter or James or John or, 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 or uh, you know, Samuel or somebody else and they would write it down. Second, look at this, First, uh, Second Peter 1.20 says, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture became a matter of somebody's own interpretation. In other words, nobody just said, I'm going to write the Bible. It, for no prophecy was ever made by act of human will. People didn't decide to write the Bible, but they were men moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So when Paul wrote, Paul didn't say, I think I'm going to write the Bible. God's Holy Spirit came upon him, and he said, I'm going to write this letter, but I know what I'm writing is the Word of God. And, and they knew that it was the Word of God. They understood that it was the Word of God. And, and here's what I love to, to uh, write down. Let me see. We're, we're, up, we're all the way over. Yeah. It came from God to man, from God through man. From God to man, from God through man. And it's perfect. And I want to show you this. Have you, do you think that, um, that Peter thought Paul's letters were Scripture? Do you think Peter thought his letters were scripture? Of course. Watch this. This is Peter writing, and he says, And regarding the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our brother, beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, he wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are there some things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of the what? He, Paul, he calls Paul's writing scripture. So I just want you to understand that when, when Peter wrote and Paul wrote and John wrote and Matthew wrote, they knew they were writing the word of God down. It's, it's really powerful. It's powerful. Okay. 
I think we might going have to go a little faster. I'm going too slow. Okay, so now let's talk about, are we okay? Is everybody kind of caught up? Let's talk about the importance of the Bible. Okay, importance of the Bible. And we want to think about two things, the study of the Word and the purpose of the Word. And we're going to talk about the study of the Word. And we're going to get more details in just a little bit. That's why I wanted you to have those little, car, those little bookmarks. I want you to see something. I've made something up for you that you may not even realize. I've had people come up to me and say, I've never really looked at the bookmark. I thought it was just a bookmark. It's not just a bookmark. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Let's talk about studying the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to who? To God, as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. We are responsible before God to handle accurately the Bible. Literally, it says, rightly dividing the word of truth. That means we know how the Bible fits together. If somebody came to you and said, why don't we offer animal sacrifices anymore? You don't say, I don't know. You say, here's why, because Jesus, the final sacrifice for sin forever, and all the animal sacrifices, here's what they did in the Old Testament. They did what? They covered sin, and, and you give them the three things, and you tell them all this, and then you say, but now Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin forever, so we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. In fact, we offer spiritual sacrifices. We've got to be able to handle accurately the Word of God. So the study, and we're going to talk more about it a little bit later and so we can be approved. But here's the second thing, and, and this is the, the purpose. The purpose of the Word. Watch this. All Scripture is inspired by God. That means God breathed. That means God breathed through people His Word. And beneficial for, watch, teaching, rebuke, rebuke correction, for training in righteousness so that the man, and some people put our woman, because that's not in there, but it's the man of God, but it's talking about mankind, that the man of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Now, look at this. And, and I, I think I put those words out there for you. It's profitable for what? It's profitable for, it means it's our benefit, for teaching, teaching the truths. The Bible teaches us the truths, Okay. And then it says it's for proof. What does reproof mean? Shows you what? Shows, shows you where you're wrong. And then it's correction, which shows you how to get right. And then it's training, showing you how to stay right. That's what the Word of God is for. The Word of God teaches you. The Word of God gives us truth. And it shows us where we're wrong. It shows us how to get right. It shows us how to stay right. That's what the Bible does. And so when we study it, have, have you ever studied the Bible and it told you that you were doing something wrong? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it says, don't do that anymore. Get right, and this is how you stay right. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. So does everybody see that? Okay. Everybody got it mostly? And then here's something else. So we might be adequate. If you read that passage, it says, so that the man of God might be adequate. That sounds like, you know... You'll be okay. No, the word adequate means completely trained. It means that you're, you're mature, you're complete, you're qualified. And so you're ready to do it, that the man of God is ready to do it, equipped for every good work. I'm going to put this right there, equipped to do good work. So what the Bible does is it trains us. I'm going to erase this here for a minute. The Bible takes us, takes us where we are, trains us, equips us, matures us as we study it, and it helps us get ready so that then we can do good works, that we can serve God. That's the whole ultimate thing. We can serve Him. So that's what the Bible is for. Uh, have you ever talked to somebody and they say something like, well, I'm no Bible scholar. You know what you should say to them? Why not? It's in English. You can read it, right? Why aren't you a scholar? 
If, if Jesus Christ is our Savior, if He is God, and this is true, should we not be digging this and understanding this and applying it and being ready to tell other people? Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him? When was the last time we told somebody? Because if they do not believe in Him, they do not have what? Eternal life. And if they don't have eternal life, they have what? The second death, they're going to be separated forever. If we actually believe this is true, we should know it. We should take the Bible and say, train me and equip me so I can, can know it. This um, next verse uh, on your handout, it has Hebrews 4.2. It should be Hebrews 4.12. So just fix that. I saw that when I was uh, looking at it today. It's Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God, look what it is. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierces for the division of the soul and spirit. Joints and marrow able to judge the thoughts and the tensions of heart. When you dig the Scripture, it begins to touch you. It begins to penetrate. You begin to read the Bible and you go, oh my, whoa, that's true. Oh, good gracious. And as far as the division of soul, spirit, joints, it's able to judge. Notice, it judges. The Bible knows the thoughts and intentions. It knows what we think and why we think it. You ever thought about that? Look at this. Judges thoughts and intentions, what we think and why we think. The Bible is amazing. I'm going to go a, a little faster uh, on this. Isaiah 55, 11 just says the Bible never comes back void. Never comes back void. That when Listen, let me, let me tell you something. Let's say somebody asked you to teach something or would you give a testimony or would you always use Scripture. You know why? Because the Scripture is what's alive and powerful, not, not me. I'm, if I'm not teaching Scripture, then much to it. The Scripture's alive and powerful. The Scripture never comes back void. That's why I can stand up on a Sunday morning and teach about David. And somebody could say, does everybody in that room need to know about David? God's going to take it and he's going to use that Scripture to touch lives ever how he wants to. He will, his vo- word will never come back void. It will accomplish what he desires. That's what it does. That's why if you're going to teach anything, always teach the Bible because that's the authority. And when you teach the Bible, you, you're going to have the authority when you teach it. Okay, we've got to go just a touch faster because the next part is really fun. Okay, how can we know God's Word? How can we do it? Well, I've got an A and a B here. The A is Bible study. You're talking about our work. And then I'm going to give you a Bible study methods. And I'm going to show you some things that, that if you've never seen these before, this is going to really pump you up. Okay, let's talk about our work, which is to study. We just did the, the verse a while ago, 2 Timothy 2.15. That's to study to show yourself approved. You want to dig the Bible. You can see how it fits together. You can learn the things. Let me just tell you that we have a Bible institute. And, and we have a course. I teach a course. It's, it's usually every other year. It's probably not going to be this next year, but I usually teach a class called the 2-2, and it's, called the, it's theological. It begins at the very beginning with God and the Word and man and salvation and the Christian life and the end times. It takes you through the whole gamut. It's, it's my favorite thing to teach. We call it the 2-2. We also have a course called the 412 Foundations, which takes you through very foundational truths. We have this course, which takes you the biblical truths that every Christian must understand. We have all kinds of other classes. We have what we call the 412 Christian Life. We have one that we call Discipline for Godliness, where you can grow and, and be trained and disciplined to be a godly person. We've got all these things. So take advantage of the opportunities to dig Scripture and learn it. That's what you want to do, and you want to learn to, to grow, to, to, to get it by yourself. The second thing is, I want to talk about Bible study methods and, and, and understand the great truth. When we study the Bible, our teachers who? 
God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that teaches us. I want to show you something. Look at this verse right here. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God. That's the Holy Spirit. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Where are you going to know them at? The word. Okay, watch. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom. This didn't come from people. But taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. He says the Holy Spirit's going to help you put together the truth. So let me give you some things that will help you put together the Bible. Okay? This is Bible study methods, putting together the Word of God. And I'm going to go through fairly, fairly quickly, but I'm just going to give you some big ideas so that you can use. The first one is, whenever you're studying the Bible, first of all, always study the Bible in its context. Okay? The passage in the context. Okay? That means when you're studying something, you need to know who it was written to, how does it fit, what's the flow of the passage. Don't just pull a verse out. You see people just pull verses out all the time. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm with them. What does that mean? People think it means if you get two people together and you pray about something, it's going to be okay. Let me ask you something. If you pray about something by yourself, is it going to be okay? What, do you have to have somebody? No, you know what that passage is talking about? It's talking about church discipline. It's talking about the passage where it says go to somebody and if, if you eventually if they don't obey, you don't, don't listen and do what's right, remove them from the body of Christ. And then he says, because when two or three are gathered together, I'm with you. He's saying when you make that decision, because you remember you have to have at least two or three witnesses where two or three. That passage has nothing to do with some kind of prayer thing. It's talking about removing somebody from the body. Look at this right here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are called into one body and be thankful. I've had people come up to me and say, that's telling us that we got a decision to make. You have to have peace about it. it. has nothing to do with that. If you look at the context of the passage, he's saying, believers, get along with each other. Let the peace of Christ umpire in your hearts. He's saying, get along with fellow believers. It has nothing to do with decision making and all of that kind of thing. So always look at the context. Second, always compare Scripture with Scripture. I mean, sometimes you read something in one book, you'll find an answer or some truths in one of the other books. And, and it's like in the book of Revelation. You, you open up, and in the chapter 1, you see this, uh, this, this being, it's, it's God, and he's standing there, these lampstands and everything else. And you could stop right there and say, I wonder what those lampstands are. All you have to do is read a little further, and he tells you exactly what the lampstands are. So compare Scripture with Scripture. And the third one is what I call, and write this down, just write it down. Use the historical, literal, grammatical method of studying the Bible. The historical, literal, grammatical way of studying the Bible. And that means, historical means the context, this history. Literal means what do the words mean. Grammatical means how they fit together. Listen, if I said the man kicked the ball, it cannot mean the ball kicked the man. And when you study the Bible, I've watched people take the Bible and change what it actually says because they're not watching what it says. And they'll, they'll say, well, it means this. And I go, wait a minute. No, no, no. Here's your subject of your sentence. Here's your verb. Here's your direct object. That, that doesn't say what you just said. So when you study the Bible, you've got, you got to know it, right? Okay? So it, historical, literal, grammatical. That means the subject is the subject, and the verb is the verb, and the direct object is the direct object, and, and they, things fit together when you study it. So yeah, that's number, uh, here's number two. Understand the background. Now let me show you. Write these four things down. You've got to understand the background because it's a different language, a different time, a different geography, and a different culture. Just write those four things down. When you study the Bible, 
Those events happened 5,000 to 2,000 years ago. It's a different language. What language is the Old Testament? Hebrew with a little Aramaic. What language is the New Testament? Greek. So it's a different language. It's at a different time. It's a different geography. It's the Middle East. Most of it's Iran, Iraq, Israel, Syria, Egypt. Some of it's Europe. Okay? And then there's a different culture. There's a Jewish culture. There's a... Let me ask you something. Do you remember... And I'm going to throw this out real fast as you're writing. Do you remember the story where it's time for Passover? And the guys say to Jesus, where do you want us to prepare the Passover? And he says, go into the city... And you'll find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him to the house. Go into the master of the house and say, where's the room that is set up for the Lord to eat the Passover? You could say, okay, well, how are you going to know? There may be 50 men carrying pitchers of water. The answer is no. Women carried the water, not men. And that, if you know the culture, you know that when he says you'll see a man carrying a pitcher of water, that that's going to stand out. They'll be able to find that guy. Okay, so that's knowing the culture. So you got to know the language. You, and, and when I say know the language, there are all kinds of tools out there that help us put things together. Realize that you're studying things that happened 5,000, 3,000 years ago. The geography is a different part of the world. And it's a different culture. So when you study the Bible, you've got to have an idea of all those things. The third part is know some principles. Now, this is the key, and I, this is that you've got to understand this, and that is when you study the Bible, do what we call observation interpretation, and application. Observation, interpretation, and application. So whenever you look at a passage, let's pretend you're going to study John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. That's going to be your passage. Well, first of all, you've got to make sure you got it in its context. You've got to make sure you're understanding historically, literally, and grammatically. You've got to look at background and all that. And then as you get ready to look at the passage you're going to do what we call observation, interpretation, and application. Now, let me give you an example of what not to do, okay? Have you ever been to a Bible study where everybody's sitting around the room? There's a circle of about eight people, and everybody says, okay, turn to Romans chapter 1, and then you say, "Uh, Ralph, would you mind reading the first seven verses? And Ralph reads the verses, and then they say, Ralph, what does that mean to you? That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. If if you're the teacher, you just ask somebody who hasn't studied it to read it and tell everybody what it means. Okay, so when you look at a passage, you're going to be the one to study it. Remember, study to show yourself approved to God? You've got to dig the passage. So here's what we do. We call what we call observation, interpretation, application. If you take your your little thing right here, and if you see on one side, it says, rightly dividing the word, right? Everybody get this? Okay, if you look on the back side, what does it say? Observation, interpretation, and application. You can use this little card to help you as you study the Bible. So let's do this together. You're going to study a passage. And so, uh, let me see where we are. Okay, we're over here. And if you're going to observe a passage, that means you're going to read a passage, and you're going to ask these questions. What does it say? Who, what, where, when, why, and how? You ask those questions. You're not trying to determine what it means. You're seeing what it says. 
And so if it says, and Paul said to John, you would say, who? Paul and John. And what? What's going on? Paul's saying. Where are they? I don't know, but the passage may tell us they're on top of a mountain. When did this happen? It ha- you know. And so you can look at a passage and you ask the questions. What I do in a, in, a, in a Bible study methods course that I teach is we go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and we take one verse and we look at it in the context and then we say, let's observe this verse. And we ask who, what, where, when, why, how. And if you've ever done something like that, most people in there, they, they say uh, this. And then I say, what about this? And before you know it, they're going, I've never seen this before. So the first thing you do when you study the Bible is you take your passage and you ask these questions. Who, what, where, when, why, how. Okay. Second thing you do, after you have asked those questions, you're now going to interpret. And how do you interpret it? Well, there are three things you look at. The first thing you look at is verbs. And you find out what's the tense, what's the voice. Now, I have to say this to you. If you're going to study the Bible, you've got to know English. Or you've got to know grammar. You've got to know what a verb is, and you've got to know whether it's active or passive. You've got to know what's future or past tense or present. You've got to know those things. Because if he says, I will come to you, what does that mean? That's future, you know. If he said, I came to you, that's past tense. So, I mean, you've got to understand that. So you've got to look at the verbs in a passage, and, you can see what is, and then you've got to look at connectives. Now, let me show you what connectives are. They're on this little deal right here. They're connectives. And they're words like, if and but and for and as, and they tell you something in the Bible. He says, but you shall receive power. The but's are the contrast. It's made a contrast from what he said before. And if he says, uh, if you're the son of God, it's a conditional clause. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, that's a summary statement. So when you see these words, that's why I've got this for you. When you're studying the Bible and you see these words, you go, okay, this is telling me something, Okay. And then the third thing is what I call the key words. And that's any word in a passage that stands out to you. That you say, I don't know what it means. I don't want to see how it fits. I want to be able to do that. So this is how you do it. Okay, and, and I know it sounds funny, but I remember one time I taught this to, a, to about ten people. And there was, a, there was a, a, a lady sitting on the front. And I said, so when you observe a passage, you, uh, I, I, who, what, when, when, why, then you interpret it and you look at the verb. And, then we, and she said, I'm not going to do all that. That takes too much time. And I said, okay, well, how, how are you going to know what the passage is about? How are you going to really know what it says if you don't take the time to study it? Listen, it's one thing for me to say, okay, look at Ephesians 4 and I teach you that. It's another thing for you to look at Ephesians 4 and you say, I see this. Before I teach you, you see it. Or I might teach you and you say, now I see what he's talking about. But you've got to be able to dig Scripture for yourself, right? I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I don't call people and say, hey, I'm teaching uh, Second Samuel. What should I tell them? I study the Bible, right? I have to. And you do the same. And so observation, interpretation, application. The observation is the key the words. The interpretation is those, those three things, the verbs, the connectives, the key words. And then the last thing is application. Application is the key. Application is what do I do now? How can I apply this? And let me just say something. Applications have to be based on interpretations. If you see that the passage says, stop letting sin reign in your body, that's the passage. What's the application? I've had people say, this passage says, stop letting sin reign in your body, so we all need to share our faith. That's not the application from that passage. 
The application must be based off the interpretation. If you want to share, to, do you want to share your faith, you've got to find a passage that says that. Okay? Always base applications on the interpretations. Okay, let me stop for a second. We've got about three or four minutes, and I've got a little bit more to go. Are there any questions or anything? Sometimes this almost sounds boring to people when you say, okay, here's what I want you to do. But if you ever do this, and I challenge you, go home, pick one little pa- pa- get John 1, 1 through 5, get, Ephesians, get, get Acts uh, 1, 8, get, get one little passage, and say, okay, I'm going to look at this passage, and find out what the context is, find out who it was written to and all that, and then do, these ver- do this. You will be amazed what you find. Instead of saying, I thought that passage is this, you're going to say, I didn't realize all of that was in this one passage. Okay? So do that. I, it's a challenge. And you, got, you can get, I've got a bunch of the cards. Get all you want. Uh, we got them out front too. If you, and uh, if you want more, you can pass them out to people. You can keep them. Put it in your Bible. Uh, it, use it when you study the Scripture. All right, the last part here is using God's Word. And there's two keys. Ezra 17 said, For Ezra had purposed. Thoroughly resolved to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in all Israel. Ezra's plan was threefold. Notice what it is. Study the word, apply the word, teach the word. Now let me show you something. This is the key. Study, apply, and then pass on. You have to study it yourself. You have to dig it. You have to observe it, interpret, apply it. You have to do all that kind of stuff. Then you have to make application in your life. The purpose, the goal of the study of the Word of God is what? Application. Remember that. Most people think that the goal of the study of the Bible is to know the Bible. The goal of the study of the Bible is application. You know it so you can apply it. Then you pass it on. Listen, if you study it and do not apply it, nobody's going to listen to you when you pass it on. You've got to be living it out. You've got to say, I've got to know it and apply it and then pass it on. So Ezra purposed that he would study it, that he would apply it, and he would pass it on. And so this goal is study so we can know it, apply it so we live it out, and then teach it to other people. That's the goal. That's what we want to do. For all of us, that's the, that's the key. Second Timothy 2.2, 2, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the goal there is to be taught and to teach others. Let me show you something. You've seen this many times, but I just want to show you how it works. Second Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, take the things. So Paul said, Paul says, Timothy, take the things I taught you and entrust these to what? Faithful people who will be able to what? Teach others. You understand? Paul teaches Timothy. Timothy teaches these people. These people teach others. So if you said, like me, I'm teaching you, what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be teaching these people so they can teach others. So it it goes on and on and on and on. It's multiplication. It's called making disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. And so it says here, be taught and teach others. So let me give you the applications quickly and the test coming up and everything. But uh, I, love this, I love this lesson, but a lot of people go, well, you know, I, that's okay. Until you do it, until you start studying the Bible on your own, uh, it, it won't come alive to you. You may see there's truths and things, but it will not come alive to you until you begin to study it and you begin to say, I just saw that. I'd never seen that before. Okay. So, number one, God has revealed himself by both general revelation, which is the creation, and special revelation, which is various means. 
So you could just put down, God's revealed himself by general and special revelation. You don't have to write all that stuff down, but you know it. And this is what he's done. General revelation is the creation of the world. Special revelation is all those different things that we've seen. Second, the key revelation for believers is what? The Word of God. You hold in your hand the revelation from God. The, the, the key stuff. Wow, it's amazing. So the key uh, revelation for believers is the written Word of God. Because Since I'm going to keep it up there, I'll go on a little bit more. The third thing is God put His Word in written form in both the Old and New Testaments. So you have it. You have it. Do you, um, do you like the Old Testament? Do you think it's beneficial? Was it written for our instructions? Did you know there are people today, many, even some famous pastors who are telling people that we, we should never study the Old Testament, we don't need it, it's not for us, the only thing really for us is the letters? Do you realize people are saying that? How, how much would we be missing out on if we'd never looked at the life of Saul and David? And the lives of Elijah and Elisha. We did a study. If you, some of you hadn't been in church, you know, coming along enough. But we did a study on Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah is the one that called down fire from heaven. Elisha did. I mean, if you if you didn't study those lives of those people, you missed out a lot. It's just amazing what is in the Old Testament. The third, the uh, fourth thing is the Bible is inspired, profitable, alive, never void, and the truth. Inspired means, you know, God breathes, profitable, it's alive and powerful, it never comes back void, always accomplishes purpose, and it is the truth. Okay, number five, and, and you know, I, it's just hard to write all this down, but we're to study God's word based on what? The historical, little grammatical method using observation interpretation, and application. As you're writing that down, I just want you to listen to me. Just write. Uh, in that class, I take Acts 1-8, and we go through observation interpretation of that one verse. It takes us about 40 minutes to do it. And people see things in there they've never seen. And we're talking about a verse that says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. That's the one verse. We take that verse and we observe it, interpret and apply it. And you would not believe what's in one verse. Now you have the context because you have to look at it in its context. But it'll change, it'll change your life. And so you should use this historical, literal, grammatical interpretation. Let me ask you something. When in Revelation chapter 20, and it says, and Jesus will rule for a thousand years. Does that mean a thousand years? Yes. What, it says it seven times. Do you think he really means thousand years, or should we just say that's not really an actual event? He just wanted us to think about a long time or something. Do you think when it says he died and rose again after three days, do you think it was three days? Do you think it was three days and three nights, as, as, as Matthew twelve thirty eight says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights? you think Jesus was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights? You think he really rose from the grave because it said he rose from the grave. But, you know, somebody could say, well, that, he didn't really mean he rose from the grave. Did he die on the cross? See, some people say it says he died on the cross, but some people said he didn't really die. He just kind of swooned. They thought he was dead and he just felt pretty bad. And when that guy stabbed him all the way through and everything, it, it really didn't hurt him. You know, <laughs> I mean, think about it. We are to study, apply, and teach the word of God to others. So, 
You got to study it. Then you got to apply it. And then what do you got to do? Who teaches everybody the Bible? We do. We all do.